You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore, Millsboro, 1030. Good to see you guys. Hope you had, we have a great time of worship today. Great to see you. Hope you had a great week. It's so good to see everybody today, and we're so glad you're here. And uh, we are starting a new series today. If you're brand new to Bayshore, I'm Pastor Danny. So uh, if you are here for the first time, great time to come as we start a new series. And this series is titled Christmas Before Jesus. Uh, Unusual title there, Christmas Before Jesus. How can you have Christmas Before Jesus? Sounds like a little bit of an oxymoron, but we're going to be talking about in this series the scriptures in the Old Testament that predicted Christmas. Christmas was not something that just happened, but there was a long runway through the Old Testament, 4,000 years, where the Lord was preparing us for the coming of Jesus at Christmas time. By the way, Christmas is just 43 days from today, 43 days from today, so it is really, uh, it's really coming quick. And uh, so when I think about Christmas, one of the things that I think about is, you know, Christmas doesn't really start for me until the Christmas cups come out at Starbucks and Dunkin' Donut. When I go to Starbucks and Dunkin' Donut and I get the Christmas cup, I know that Christmas is on the way. And that really makes my Christmas. And uh, this is the uh, Dunkin' Donut. I really highly recommend the Midnight Roast, Dark Roast at uh, Dunkin' Donut. They do a great job on that. Also, their cappuccinos are amazing. Their espressos are great. Uh, so they're doing a great job. And then Starbucks. I think this is the same cup as last year, or maybe the year before, the year before, the year before. But uh, anyhow, I love the Christmas cups. And when I went uh, this week and got my coffee, got the, star, uh, got the Christmas cups, I'm like, oh man, Christmas is coming. That's really good. Uh, the other thing is uh, Christmas trees. Now, we already have our Christmas trees up. And uh, if you are obsessive compulsive like I am, just raise your hand. You already have the Christmas trees up. Some of you have your Christmas trees up. It gets crazy busy for Karen and I in November. As soon as Thanksgiving hits or right before Thanksgiving to Christmas, it's like a blink. And uh, before we know it, we're at Christmas Eve services and uh, we uh, finally get done with all the stuff we're doing for Christmas. And then we go home after Christmas Eve service, put on It's a Wonderful Life and drink uh, eggnog. And that is our Christmas right there. Uh, So we've already got our Christmas trees up. The deal is I bring them down from the attic. We have a a large tree that's in our great room, a pre-lit Christmas tree. We bring it down, got to put it together. And then we have our traditional tree, which is the tree that uh, we had when our kids were little. And uh, that tree is decorated sort of, uh, sort of traditionally, and so those are the two trees. My deal is to bring the trees down and to make sure the lights are working, and then I'm done. I'm done. Because Karen, uh, you know, when I put ornaments on, she always moves them anyhow, so no need for me to go through all that. So that's another thing about Christmas. Christmas music, Spotify, uh, already got my Amy Grant Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas uh, station on. Now, the best Christmas uh, album of all time is the Amy Grant Christmas album, you know, the one with the breath of heaven and Mary, did you know? That's the best one. And if you don't believe that, I mean, you, I appreciate that, but you're wrong. That is the best one. <laughs> and uh, so I started listening to Amy Grant a little bit yesterday, Christmas music. And so that's uh, Christmas. I get ready for Christmas early. 
Uh, I do my shopping early, and I just get things done early. And God gets Christmas ready early as well. He gets Christmas done early because he's, uh, he's predicting in the Old Testament what's going to come when Jesus comes in the beginning. So Christmas just didn't happen. Christmas was well orchestrated and well prepared by God in the Old Testament. So in this series, we're going to be looking at the scriptures in the Old Testament that speak about Christmas before Christmas happened. And so uh, we got a little time, uh, 43 days before Christmas, so we got some Sundays to work on this. And uh, in the, the first Christmas uh, scripture is found in Genesis 3, of all places. Genesis 3, right in the beginning of the Bible. And it's found in verse 15, where it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That's the first prophecy in the Bible. There's no, this is the very first prophecy in the Bible of what's going to happen in the future. Now, it's interesting that this prophecy was given by God to the devil. So the first person that ever received a prophecy was the devil. And, uh, and it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity is a word, we don't use enmity. It really means hostility hostility i mean real tension anger between the uh, seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent i will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel first christmas verse first christmas verse and it's called the protoevangel by scholars protoevangel which means first mention of the gospel First time the gospel is ever mentioned is right in the beginning of the Bible. And so let's read um, chapter 3, a little bit of chapter 3, to get us up to where this prophecy took place. You know the story. Everybody knows this story so well, the story of the fall of man in the garden. Genesis 3, 1 through 24. We're not going to read all the way to 24. We'll stop at 15 and then bounce to t- verse 21. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit in the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said. The woman said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also but desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who, are, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
So the Lord God said to the servant, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust in the days, all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And then down in verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Now this is a, a very important story in the Bible and it really helps us to get ready for Christmas as we think about the coming of Jesus at Christmas time. And one of the things that we need to remember about the Bible is the Bible is a great story, a story that's true, but it's a great, great story. And every great story begins with a problem, begins with a problem. Uh, it's a guy named Donald Miller who's written a lot of great books and he's a great writer. And he says, if you went to a movie and you saw the movie and it was basically about a guy that always wanted a Volvo, he always wanted a Volvo, and he saved up enough money, and he finally gets a Volvo, and he drives off the parking lot or the, the car lot with the Volvo, testing the windshield wipers. He said, if you saw that as a movie, that would be a bad movie. Why is it a bad movie? It would be boring. You'd be mad because you spent your $20 on watching that boring movie. Well, the reason it is a bad movie would be a bad movie is because it has no problem. It has no drama to it. You know, a good movie is a movie where there is some kind of major problem that has to be solved. Last night, Karen and I watched Apollo 13. The movie came out in, 19, or it came out in 20, uh, 2015, I think. And uh, it starred Tom Hanks as uh, Jim Lovell, the, the commander of the Apollo 13 mission. Great movie. Great, great movie. Tom Hanks, he doesn't make a bad movie. Uh, maybe he's made one or two, but he's the ultimate actor. And he plays Jim Lovell. And it's about a true story that back in 1970 in April, they launched the uh, Apollo 13. Not a good number. Apollo 13 was supposed to go to the moon, and Jim Lovell and, uh, and Fred Hayes were supposed to go down to the lunar module, and they were supposed to walk on the moon. Not a big deal, because we already did that in, in 1969, in July, July 1969, did it in Apollo 12. So Americans were absolutely bored, absolutely bored with Apollo 13. They didn't even cover it in the news. They cut it out, because it wasn't interesting until... Uh, they had a little problem. Uh, Jack Swigert, uh, the guy that was over the command module, he stirred up the oxygen tanks. And there was some kind of wire that wasn't uh, covered right in the oxygen tank, and it started a fire, and there was an explosion. And all of a sudden, there was a big problem. The big problem was now they didn't have enough oxygen in the command module. They didn't have enough energy to get back to the earth. There was a big, big problem. And the whole world tuned in. Because this big, big problem was riveting. It was a big problem. Karen and I are watching the movie. We've seen it five times. We bought it on Amazon Prime. I told Karen I rent it, but I actually bought it. I bought the movie <laughs> on Amazon Prime. And we've seen the movie five times. And I'm sitting there with Karen, and she's saying, man, this is really nerve-wracking. This is nerve-wracking. And I said, honey, we've seen it five times. It's going to be okay. <laughs> You see, a good story 
is a story that tries to solve a problem. And in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament is trying to solve a fundamental problem. This is what the Bible is about. It's about solving man's biggest problem. And the biggest problem was, is in the garden, the Garden of Eden, there was, a, there was a, something that really went wrong, and it created chaos in the world. In the Old Testament, there's wars, and there's killing, and there's homicides. We read in a couple chapters later that, that there's a brother that kills his own brother. There's chaos in the world because... In the beginning, man sinned against a holy God, and it corrupted man's heart, and this big problem has to be solved. So that is what the Bible is about. It starts about this wonderful Garden of Eden that's not only functional, that's not only practical, it has food, it has water, it has shade. It's not only practical and functional, but it's also beautiful, beautiful. You know, God created the world to be beautiful, to be stunning. I've been sitting in the woods this week and uh, enjoying the outdoors and, and looking at the trees. This is my favorite time of year. The, 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 the oranges and the yellows and all the different uh, just colors of the, of the, of the woods. This, I think we have a picture of my tree in the backyard. This is my tree in the backyard. And I'd sit on the deck and look at that beautiful tree. I love the beauty of nature. You know, God created, listen, God created you with the capacity to be able to appreciate beauty. You know, animals can't do that. There's not a dog that walks around and says, this is a beautiful night. There's not, there's not an animal. The deers in the field don't look at the sunset and say, what a beautiful sunset. You alone are made in the image of God. And you've been created with the capacity to enjoy beauty. Why do we look at art? Why do, we, why do we walk in in an art gallery and we'll look at art? Because we have been given the capacity to, to appreciate the beauty that God has created. Someone said, as N.T. Wright said, that beauty is the echo of the voice of God. He created beauty. You know, I can't watch black and white TV. I don't know about you. I can't watch it. Karen watches Perry Mason at black and white. I, I don't understand why she does that. I mean, I watched Schindler List, you know, had one, you know, it was all black and white. But I'm telling you, I can't watch black and white because I love the, the high definition and the beauty of the colors. Recently, uh, Rocky and Leanne Green, uh, part of this wonderful campus here, uh, Rocky and Leanne went out to uh, Utah and went out to Arizona, and they looked at all these beautiful sites, these national parks there, and they sent us pictures, and we're just, we're just slightly envious of them as we're seeing these wonderful pictures. And they got out there, they, they just did for, for a week or so, 10 days, just looked at the beauty of nature. You see, God created a beautiful garden, and in the garden, in the story, something goes wrong. Something goes wrong. And what goes wrong is they're in the garden, and Adam and Eve are there, and Eve has been created, and the serpent shows up. And now the serpent, you know, that's an interesting thing, the serpent. You know, I'd like to do a whole sermon on why is there a talking snake in the Bible. You know, what's the talking snake about? Skeptics make fun of that, the talking snake. You know, the only thing I knew about talking animals that talked in when I was a kid was Mr. Ed. How many remember Mr. Ed? You know, I remember Mr. Ed, but a talking snake. Well, that's a whole different sermon that I don't have time to go into. 
But you know, the word snake is actually the word shining one. It can be translated as, a, as an adjective as shining one. And in the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 14, it says, Lucifer, who became Satan, there was, you know, it used to be three arch archangels. There was Gabriel, there was Michael, and then there was Lucifer. And Lucifer fell from heaven, and he dragged a third of the angels with him. And Lucifer means shining one. Means shining one. So the snake is clearly a symbol and representation of Satan. And when you get into the book of Revelation, Revelation in chapter 12 and chapter 20 talks about the ancient serpent, which is the devil. So we have really here the devil trying to beguile, beguile and deceive Eve, and then Adam sort of went along with it. And that's what went wrong in the garden. What went wrong in the garden is that there was, you know, the devil exaggerated, said, did, God's, did God actually say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? You can't eat of any tree? He always exaggerates, makes God look unreasonable. And, he's, and Eve said, no, no, he said, just we can't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. He said, did God actually say? And he said, you won't die? He defied God, and God allowed Adam and Eve to eat of hundreds of trees in the garden. There were grapevines, there were com, uh, kumquat trees, and there was orange trees, and there were grapevines, and there was all kinds of fruit. But the one tree represented God's authority, God's authority that God is sovereign. He's the creator, and we are his creatures. We're made in his image, and we're made to reflect his glory, and he has the final say in our life. And he says there's one tree you can't eat of. God has the right to tell us what we can't do. God has the right to tell us what we can do, and he has the right to tell us what we can't do. And here's what the serpent said. The serpent said, if you eat of this tree, you will be like God knowing good and evil. That was the appeal, that now you will be like God. Here's the difference between a person that is not a follower of Jesus and a person that is a follower of Jesus. A person that is the fo a follower of Jesus has knelt at the authority of Jesus, and Jesus is the God in their life. If you aren't following Jesus, we are our own God. We want to be our own God, not accountable to anybody. We, don't want, to, we want to do what we want to do. We want to be like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And the, the essence of not being a Christ follower is not allowing Jesus to be Lord in your life. You cannot be a follower of Jesus. I cannot be a follower of Jesus without Jesus being the final say in your life and in my life. And the garden was put there, or the tree was put in the middle of the garden to represent God's authority in our life. Sin is not a mistake. It's not a mistake. It's rebellion against the authority of God in our life. When I was a kid growing up, playing baseball in the backyard of my, where I grew up in Airport Road in Seaford, and um, all the neighbors would come over, the boys and some of the girls, and have our dungarees, remember dungarees? We called them dungarees cut off and barefoot, and we're playing baseball in the backyard. There's a big maple tree to my right next to the, my house where I grew up, and the maple tree is first base, and across the middle of the yard is second base, a little, uh, a little uh, bag of uh, sand, and then there's another third base over here, and I'm up to bat, and I swing at the baseball and I swing late and it goes to the right of the maple tree and it's flying toward my sister's bedroom window and it's flying in slow motion 
You can see it twirling in the air. And finally it goes, breaks right through my sister's bedroom window. And am I going to be in big trouble? That's a mistake. A sin is when I stand in front of the, the bedroom window with a ball in my hand and I toss it up and I throw it through the bedroom window. That's what Adam and Eve did here. They knew. They knew what they were doing. And they knew they weren't supposed to do it. And they did it anyhow. So sin is rebellion against God. God has the final say in our life. He has the final say. He's created us in his image. He's created us to glorify him. He's created us to reflect his glory. He's created us as, as people that obey his word. And so what God says about how I'm supposed to live my life with integrity and how I'm supposed to confess my sins and how I'm supposed to, to uh, not be dishonest with people and I'm supposed to speak the truth in love, what God says about human sexuality, I accept as the final say because God's word is the final say. He has put the tree in the middle of the garden and we are to submit to his rule and his authority in our life. Sin is rebelling against God's authority. So then you have, you have God walking into the garden in the cool of the day after they'd eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened immediately after that is they felt incredibly shameful. They were covered with shame when they ate of the tree. All of a sudden they knew they were naked. They lost their innocence and now they knew they were naked. And, you know, they were covered with shame. And here's the thing that happened. As soon as sin entered the heart of man, Man became self-conscious of himself, self-conscious of himself, a victim and a, and a person that's in, uh, under the dominion of self-consciousness. What, a, what do I look like? What do people think of me? And how many people, they get on Facebook every day, and how many likes do I get? And what do people think of me? It's, it's the sign of sin in our life, that sin has made us incredibly self-conscious. Before sin entered the world, we weren't self-conscious. We were conscious of God's glory. And we became incredibly insecure since sin entered the world. So God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the reason he did that is because he did that on a regular basis. This was not the first time he did that. God regularly would come into the garden. And you see a picture uh, in your mind of God and Adam and Eve walking along the stream. And looking at the deer and looking at the animals and looking at the beautiful creation that he had made. And they're communing together. They're fellowshipping together. Because you and I were made for community with God. We were created to have community with him. Community, have fellowship with the Lord, walking with the Lord in harmony. And so when Adam and Eve found out that they were, had, were naked and they were self-conscious, they hid behind the bushes and God came. And then God says this remarkable thing. He says, he said, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? What an incredible thing for an omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing God to say, Adam, where are you? God knew exactly where he was. He was behind the mulberry bush on the left side in the garden. He was hiding back there. God knew where he was. That was a metaphorical question. Where are you? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. Lord, where am I? Where am I in relationship with you? Where am I? And they're hiding from God. And how many know that you cannot hide from the God who made you and created you? No one can hide from the Lord. I remember when our... When uh, we lived next door to the church, when we came here years ago, 42 years ago, when we came here, 
our kids were little. We lived in this little mobile home. I think we have a picture of it next to the church. This is the original church. And Karen and I lived in that little mobile home for five years when we first came here. And our kids were, you know, we already had Tim when we got here. And then Joel was born shortly after. And when the kids grew up, we used to play hide and seek in that 70-foot trailer, 70 foot by 14. You know, it's hard to find a place to hide in a little 70 by 14 trailer. And we play hide and seek. And I remember I'd hide from the boys. And I one time got up on the, you know, little folding doors in the middle of the hallway, the trailer. And I hid it on top of the washing machine and closed the doors. And the kids kept walking by, couldn't find me. And finally, I kept making noises. And they opened the door and they found me there. And then they thought that was the coolest place to hide. <laughs> and they said, Daddy, put us up here so we can hide here and you go count. I said, what is wrong with these kids eating paint chips or something? What is wrong with these kids? But God, God knew exactly where Adam and Eve were, knew exactly where they were. It was their invitation to say, God, we're over here. God, this is what we did. We're over here. It was an invitation for them to come clean. And then God said, well, who told you you're naked, Adam? Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? That's a, that's a simple question. That's a simple question. You can answer that with one word, yes or no. But what did he say? He said, it was the woman. <laughs> it was the woman that you gave me. He throws... Eve under the bus, and then he throws God under the bus as well. You know, one of the biggest hang-ups that we have as human beings is we cannot take responsibility for our sin. And that was the invitation to say, God, I ate of the tree. I sinned against you. I blew it. And we'll never make progress in life against our addictions. We'll never make progress in life to grow spiritually until we are at the point where we say, God, it is not anybody else's fault. It's my fault. This is what I did. I've sinned against you, and I confess my sin. I'm totally responsible for it. When we begin to do that, then liberation is coming our way, and the truth begins to set us free. I had a guy come to me one time, and he was angry at God, angry at God. And the reason he was angry at God is he had this enormous gambling debt, enormous gambling debt. Why did God let this happen to me? I'm sitting in the office. I'm thinking, I shouldn't be thinking this, but I'm thinking, this is terrible. I'm thinking, what a moron. I mean, really, nobody was sitting at that jack, blackjack table but you. And he was angry at God. When Karen and I first got married, uh, we lived in this little cottage-type house in Laurel, and we had a neighbor just uh, down this uh, couple houses down named Miss Annie. And uh, and I remember when we first got when we first got married, Karen and I had a lot of problems, a lot of issues in our relationship. We were young and immature. I was a prima donna. She was a prima donna. We thought the world revolves around ourselves, and so we had a lot of learning to do. And uh, one of the big problems I have is I didn't pick up my clothes. You know, I don't know if any man can relate to that. You don't pick your clothes up. And I had my clothes on the floor, and that really bothered her, and I didn't know why it was such a big deal, but it was a big deal. 
and uh, leave my dirty socks on the floor. And I remember one day, I evidently Karen had confided in Miss Annie. And uh, Karen was gone to work, and I was at home, and Miss Annie comes to the door, and she knocks on the door. And uh, I opened the door. I said, hey, Miss Annie. She said, all I want to say to you is, are you picking up your socks? <laughs> I thought, well, Miss, it's not none of your business, Miss Annie, is what I thought. But she was right. You can't move forward in life. We can't move forward in life. I can't move forward in life until I pick up my dirty socks. Until I don't blame Eve. I don't blame God. I take responsibility. I am in need of your forgiveness, God. I need your grace and your mercy to flow into my life. You see, the story goes south because what happened is they sinned against God. They broke the, the authority of God in their life. And then after they broke the authority of God in their life, they're covered with shame. And as they're doing that, what's happening is they are not willing to admit their sin. And how we come to Christ and how we come to a renewed relationship with the Lord is we have to come to that place that, Lord, I alone have sinned against you. It's not my parents' fault. It's good to get therapy, to deal with your parents' stuff. All that's fine. We've all done that. That's important. But at the end of the day, it is us that are responsible for our sin. So then Eve was, hey, God said to Eve, you know, Eve, did, did you eat of the tree? What have you done? She said it was the serpent. It was the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on, so he didn't say anything. <laughs> this whole sermon was built around that joke right there. <laughs> I don't want to ask you how many of you have heard that before. I know you've heard it a bunch of times. but So then the prophecy is given to Satan, and this is our first Christmas verse. There'll be enmity and hostility, God says to the serpent. There'll be hostility between you and your seed and the woman and her seed. And you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And the woman means that one day the answer for the problem in the Bible will come through a woman. Sin came through Eve as she was deceived by the serpent. But the solution for man's sin and his forgiveness and what went wrong in the garden will come through a woman. The woman's seed will crush your head. And Galatians 4, 4 says this, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of a woman. So we have in Bethlehem, Mary in travail, and Mary gives birth to a son, and the woman, the seed of the woman, Jesus is born, and Jesus grows up, and he does miracles, and and he's finally placed on a cross, and the serpent bruises his heel. 
Nails went through the feet of Jesus and his heel was bruised as he was crucified for sin. The serpent, the sin that came into man, was bruised the heel of our Lord and Savior. But in that bruising and Jesus coming off the cross being raised from dead, he crushed the power. He crushed the power and the authority of the devil. So when we do sin and we do stumble, we don't have to hide in the bushes anymore, full of shame. We come to the, our Redeemer. We ask the Lord to forgive us. We take responsibility for our sin. It, you know, it wasn't my wife that made me mad. I had anger in me, and I confess that, Lord, to you. It wasn't me that, it wasn't the, someone else's fault. It wasn't the advertisement that made me sin. It was in my heart. Lord, I confess my sin, and as I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Christmas is about a, a problem a problem that has to be solved. And the problem that's going to be solved comes through the seed of the woman, and there'll be hostility between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And when Mary was given birth to Jesus, remember the Christmas story? What happened? Herod the Great became insanely jealous, and he sent the, uh, he sent the soldiers into Bethlehem to slaughter the innocent children. And the, the hostility of the serpent against the seed of the woman. And it's, it's, it's in an um, uh, illustrative form in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12 says there was a woman who was clothed in the sun and the moon was at her feet and 12 stars are upon her head. And we know from Genesis 37, that's a dream that Joseph had and it represented Israel. Israel. The nation of Israel, that group of Jewish people, that small nation would bring forth the Christ child. That nation would bring forth the Christ child. Why does Hamas hate Israel? Why does Hamas doesn't believe that Israel should exist? Why does Hezbollah in Syria say that Israel shouldn't exist? Why is there such hostility toward Israel? I mean, this little country about the size of Connecticut. Why is it always in the news? Why is there always drama around Israel? It's because the serpent hates Israel the seed of the woman. It was out of that seed of the woman that became the nation of Israel, now the nation of Israel. A little girl named Mary gave birth to a child, and that child will rule the nations with a rod of iron, it says in Revelation chapter 12. And that little child will grow up, and it will crush the authority of Satan under his feet. And it says, in Rebel, it says in Romans chapter 16 that we will also crush Satan under our feet. Every time the devil tries to condemn you, you're hiding in the bushes because you really messed up and you're, you're filled with shame. I'm going to tell you, the Lord has already taken care of your shame. He took your shame on the cross. He died on the cross. He was stripped naked for you. He was exposed to the world. And he gave himself that you would not be filled with shame. Can you say a big Amen. So the last thing in the story, the problem in the garden, we have the sin and the beautiful garden. You have man rejecting God's authority in their, in their life. And you have the den denial, denial, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And then you have the solution. Verse 21 says, 
that God took an animal, an innocent animal. It doesn't say what kind of animal it was, but this is the first sacrifice ever in the Bible, the first time an animal ever dies. God takes an innocent animal, an animal that's done nothing wrong, and God himself slays that animal, blood dripping on the floor of the Garden of Eden. And then he skins that animal, takes the skin off that animal, and God clothes Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness with the skin from that innocent animal that died. This is the first sacrifice of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices in the Old Testament in the temple and in various places throughout Israel, sacrifice of thousands and thousands of animals. You read about how many animals were sacrificed at the dedicating of the temple by Solomon. Tens of thousands of animals, innocent animals, were sacrificed. And then one day, John the Baptist is at the Jordan River and he's baptizing people and Jesus walks by and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus went on the cross, he was the last sacrifice that ever had to be made. He was crucified and sacrificed innocent as the animal in the Garden of Eden. And now I am clothed with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am righteous. The Bible says he made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we may be the righteousness of God. I'm telling you, I am righteous as God is this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're as righteous as God is this morning. How righteous am I? God is this righteous? I am this righteous because I have the righteousness of God. And that's why I can have fellowship with him. I want you to lift your hands to the Lord. I want you to thank the Lord that the big problem of humanity has been solved. The big problem. The biggest problem of our existence has been solved. And from the Garden of Eden on, the prophecy of predicting the coming of the seed of the woman that would crush the head of Satan. Jesus, you have come to defeat Satan. You've come to liberate us from our guilt and our sin. You've come to give us courage to confess our sins and be honest with ourselves because we know you can help us when we're honest. So we come to you, thanking you for your love and your mercy. Let's take the, the communion elements you received this morning. And there's a little, little top there, that little paper top, that little cellophane. Pull that off first. If you see juice first, you pulled the wrong one. Take the bread out. Collectively, if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ yet. This is a wonderful moment. You say, I want to receive Jesus. You can receive Jesus right during communion. Here's what you do. If you haven't received Jesus, just say to the Lord, Lord, I recognize my sin. I recognize you have a purpose and plan for my life. And I come to you in complete honesty and ask you to cleanse me of my sins. I believe that Jesus is the sacrifice for my guilt and my sin. I believe he's the son of God. He's been raised from the dead. And just invite him into your life to be your Lord
and your master. Let's hold the bread up today. As Jesus was held up on the cross, this bread, now kind of break it between your fingers. The bread was broken. Jesus' body was broken for our sins. He was the perfect, innocent sacrifice to cover us in the righteousness of God. Just thank him for it right now. Out of your own word, in your own words, just lift your head to the Lord. Thank him, thank him, thank him for loving you so much. You are incredibly value, valuable. You are the apple of God's eye. If you were the only one on the planet, Jesus would have sent his son just to die for you. That's the immensity of your value. Love him. Receive his grace this morning. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. There's no sin that's so dark that the Lord cannot forgive. This incredible power in the gospel as we lift up these, these pieces of bread. Lord, they represent your broken body. Thank you for being lifted up on the cross for us as the perfect sacrifice. Let's receive this together in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And let's pull back the lid. It has the, the wine or the juice. This is grape juice, by the way. It's grape juice. Grapes had to be crushed to make this juice. Under the feet, it had to be crushed. And out of the crushing of the grapes came this. The book of Isaiah says that he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. He was crushed and he was broken under the wrath of God because God's justice had to be solved. We thank you, Lord. As you lift up the juice right now, confess your sins. Maybe this week, sins that you've committed. You're already the son of God, child of God. But let your conscience be cleansed from that dishonesty in maybe a conversation. Maybe that moment of lust, maybe that moment of anger, that moment of insensitivity. Father God, we thank you that your blood is sufficient. Let's say this together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let's receive it together as a corporate body right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me for a moment? Just stand a moment. We're just about done. Just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, I, will, I just feel led to do this as we close today. This is how we're going to close today. If you're coming to the welcome lunch, you can go right away to the welcome lunch. Thank you for being with us today. You know, the Bible says to greet each other with a holy kiss. How many aren't ready for that? Just raise your hand. You're not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. But that means to be affectionate. I want you to go to four or five people around you and just say, you are loved by the Lord. Just really say that to them. You are loved by the Lord. Just bless them. Say, you are loved by the Lord. God bless you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. 
A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.